Welcome back to another episode of the Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Rosenchuk. You can follow me on Twitter at DFBeanCounter. And I am psyched to be back on the airwaves after missing last week. I, I have to be honest with you. My life has been turned upside down for the last like month or so. It's going to still be chaotic for another month. And then starting in July, July 1 is when it all smooths out for me. And I am excited because I'm going to have a lot more time to spend with you talking about fantasy football, talking about dynasty fantasy football, talking about redraft fantasy football, talking about whatever fantasy football you want. Time will be on our side and it's not on my side right now. So bear with me (laughs) for the next month. It'll be worth it. I promise. Anyways, today we are talking Austin Eckler because I keep getting told that the patrons want to draft Trey Sermon in the late first round. And I keep saying you don't draft Trey Sermon in the late first round. And the reason you don't draft Trey Sermon in the late first round is because you can get Austin Eckler for a late first and a late second. And you should just do that instead of going and getting Trey Sermon on your team. We'll talk Trey Sermon later. Another episode, not this one. Today we're talking Eckler and we need to talk about how we got here. Because I have not been on the Eckler side in the past. Coming into the 2020 season, I was not telling you to buy Austin Eckler even though Melvin Gordon was gone. Because in 2019, Austin Eckler had an incredible stretch, right? Melvin Gordon held out. Eckler had the backfield to himself for five games. He put up 25.86 fantasy points per game over those first five weeks. People were excited. They were like, this is Christian McCaffrey light. Like, we are going to win our leagues because of Austin Eckler. And that was never going to happen. People were ignoring the fact of how he got those 25.86 fantasy points per game for the first five weeks he had a 15 reception game in there that's not repeatable a 15 reception game over the course of an entire season yeah that gets smoothed out a 15 reception game over the course of five games skews the entire data he also had five touchdowns through five weeks i don't know if you know this but not many running backs score 16 touchdowns a year austin eckler probably isn't one of them he was living in an out of, he was having an out of body experience in that Melvin Gordon holdout era. And small sample sizes are dangerous. Like just ask the Amari Cooper and CD Lamb stands how they feel about small sample sizes in 2022 because they are falling into the same trap right now when they look at the splits with Dak Prescott. Oh, but Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper and CD Lamb, they were lighting the league ablaze. I got bad news for you. That wasn't sustainable. Look at the pass volume over that five-game stretch or that four-game stretch with Dak. It ain't happening. This is the same problem that we run into time and time again and why we don't use small samples and extrapolate. We look at usage. We look at projections. We do not just take last year's numbers, chop it up into our favorite sample, and then extrapolate it and say, yep, that's exactly what we should expect. We should expect 15 reception games and a touchdown a week from Austin Eckler. Never going to happen. That's why we don't do it that way. Anyways, let's carry on. So Eckler obviously goes out in 2020 and puts up not 25.6 fantasy points per game because of course he didn't because he was never going to because we were smart enough to realize that he doesn't score a touchdown a game. He doesn't get 15 touchdown, 15 receptions per game or even one game. <laughs> but he does put up a completely repeatable 16.5 fantasy points per game, which is very, very similar to the projection that we had where we had him ranked or we had him projected for, I believe it was running back 13 or 14. I think he finished around running back 10 or 11 last year. So we're pretty damn close on the projection. The difference was Justin Herbert was a lot better than I thought he was going to be. Justin Herbert had a rookie year for the ages, obviously. He was absolutely fantastic. And we should see growth to his game this year, which means that all those stats where we're looking at and saying, ah, I don't know if that's sustainable. They they aren't sustainable. Don't get me wrong. 
but we should expect growth from Justin Herbert overall. And when we see growth from him, that should offset some of those unsustainable uh, stats that he was putting up. Anyways, between Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Mike Williams, for the record, isn't a good fantasy player. He's a pretty good wide receiver though. Like, like all things considered, if I had to pick a wide receiver that was completely irrelevant for fantasy to have a, my favorite team as a wide receiver too, Mike Williams would be up there. He absolutely would be. So between those four guys, we have a pretty dynamic offense. They're probably not going to be, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs and the top offense in the NFL, but they're probably going to be a top 10 offense and at worst top half the league. That's what we should expect. And a lot of the reasons that I like DeAndre Swift are the same reasons that I like Austin Eckler. DeAndre Swift has an absolutely awesome floor. He has an RB1 floor because of his passing game usage and his passing game skills. Eckler has that. The reason we don't like Eckler as much as DeAndre Swift is because Eckler does not have a three down skill set. He is never going to be completely unlocked in a Christian McCaffrey manner in which he scores 25.6 fantasy points per game over the course of an entire season. DeAndre Swift, on the other hand, could have that. It's possible. I'm not saying it will. It's possible. Eckler, it's impossible. He's only 199 pounds, and that takes three down back completely off the table. That being said, Eckler is an elite receiving option out of the backfield. His receiving ability with a bit of rushing work sprinkled in because he's not going to get nothing in the in the uh, rushing game. That's going to put him in the back end of the RB1 range with his floor, just like we had projected last year. The problem is that's also pretty much his ceiling. Austin Eckler is a very much you know what you're going to get because he's so good at what he does and there's just very little hope that he could be anything more than that. If you want to know how good he is at receiving in the receiving game, his target share in 2020 was 17.3% number four among running backs in the world. His his yards per route run was 1.76. His catch rate, 83.1%. Number five, Eckler did one of those things where you're like super high volume and super efficient. This isn't a small sample trap where we're like, oh, well, his efficiency could just be because he had so few touches. He had all the touches and he was the most efficient, which means he's really freaking good at catching footballs. His PFF receiving grade, number five in the world among receive, or among running backs with 30 targets, 81.5 receiving grade, according to PFF. Dude's good. People tell me all the time, I need to reach on running back X in my draft because I need a running back. Running backs are scarce. I know this. This is why I tell you to move mountains to get young stud running backs on your team. This is why we were stacking Cam Akers and DeAndre Swift repeatedly last year. It was trade down from Jonathan Taylor and Clyde Edwards Hilaire, get Swift, get Akers, get future picks, get late first, get early seconds, like get more than that, but you cannot trade out of it unless you're getting one of these future stud running backs. Running backs matter. Don't get me wrong. They're they're the most impactful position in fantasy football, even super flex leagues. But guys like Trey Sermon and Michael Carter aren't it. We know that running backs need to be good at football, not necessarily to score points because running backs are largely replaceable. But what they need to do is win the freaking starting job in the first place and then keep the starting job. And Trey Sermon and Michael Carter are not, neither of those guys are good enough to hold the starting job. They might get the starting job if the guy ahead of them gets hurt or are, is really bad because that's probably what's going to happen because the guys ahead of them are really bad. They'll probably get a chance, but they ain't keeping the job. And we don't know for how long before they completely face plant. Anyways, instead of lighting your draft pick on fire and picking Michael Carter or Trey Sermon in the late first round, just add a second round pick. Go and get Austin Eckler. Eckler 
is exactly what you're looking for. If you are a running back one away from a championship, buy Austin Eckler. Do not buy Trey Sermon. Do not buy Michael Carter. Go and get Austin Eckler. Austin Eckler's value, according to Keep Trade Cut, like I said, is a late first and a late second round pick. Pay the price. Get Austin Eckler. The interesting thing about this is Austin Eckler is only 26 years old. He isn't going to disappear. If he has another running back one season or thereabouts in 2021, which he probably will, you're going to be able to sell him next offseason for a late first round pick. You are going to rent Austin Eckler for a late second round pick in the 2021 draft, which is probably going to be a day three player because there aren't very many good players in this class. It's a really, really good class at the top. The first 15, 16 picks, fantastic after that, it gets it gets scary fast. Austin Eckler is the kind of guy that you want to be able to buy. You can't go and buy Dalvin Cook for cheap. You can't go and buy, you know, Alvin Kamara for cheap. You can go and buy Austin Eckler for cheap, and you should. So now we're going to get into some Michael Pittman Jr., some MPJ. He was not a player that I was interested in as a rookie. I actually gave him a bust alpha grade. The dude is everything that you could dream of physically. He's six foot four, 223 pounds. According to playerprofiler.com, he's got a 90th percentile catch radius because he's a monster and he's fairly fast. He runs a 4.52 at 6'4", 2.23. So like his size adjusted speed is very, very good. He Like he's a bona fide X receiver, right? His size and his speed, it's pretty much all that he has going for him though. If you look at the rest of his profile, I always look for early declare. I want 21-year-old early declares. He was a 22-year-old rookie. He was a senior. Those are bad things in my process. So another thing that I always look at is breakout age. And he, Michael Pittman locked in an age 20.9, 39th percentile breakout age, which puts him in, um, how do I word this? Not great company. <laughs> Basically, the great Peter Howard at PA Howdy has an excellent chart that shows you the hit rate, the historical hit rate of a breakout age given their draft round. So a 20.9 breakout age is roughly, you know, 21. It's basically right on the fringe, right? He was the second pick, I believe, or third pick of the second round, second pick of the second round in the NFL draft. So we're kind of like right on the vortex of first round, second round, 20 breakout age, 21 breakout age. So I just kind of like looked at all four of that quadrant, all four quadrants in that range. So it's 26.7, 0%, 40%, 30%. If we know nothing else about the profile, unfortunately, we know a whole bunch else about the Michael Pittman Jr. profile and his hit rate is actually lower historically than any of those on their own, which isn't great for the Michael Pittman Jr. advocates. However, this is his rookie profile, right? His rookie profile, one of the biggest, one of the most impactful things that I look for for rookies is I want them to be dominant. I want them to consistently dominate. And Michael Pittman Jr. did not consistently dominate. At 18, he did basically nothing. At 19, he did basically nothing. At 20, he went toe-to-toe with 18-year-old freshman, future fourth-round pick Amon Ross St. Brown, and did not hit the threshold that I looked for. At 21, he barely, barely got to the threshold that I'm looking for. So he had one out of four years. That is for a market share of receiving yards. And quite frankly, that is also for receiving yards per team pass attempt. So that's uh, definitely not stacking excellent. And it's not like he had bad college quarterbacks. He had Sam Darnold, JT Daniels, and Keaton Slovis. These are good college quarterbacks. They're not great NFL quarterbacks, or at least not yet, but you know, not so bad. Like I said, he didn't really do anything his first two years. His first year, 
I mean, we don't ask players to hit as 18-year-olds anyways. And he did play with Juju Smith-Schuster as an 18-year-old. But when he was 19, he played with pretty much nobody that he should have had issue displacing. And then at 20, he went toe-to-toe, literally 758 yards for Pittman and 750 for Amon Ra. Really no change there. Or really no like contest there. They should Pittman should have outproduced Almond Raw by a fair margin, considering Pittman was entering his junior year and Almond Raw was a fresh faced 18 year old freshman. And knowing what we know now about Almond Raw, the fact that Pittman couldn't beat out a future fourth round pick is kind of telling. Kind of telling. So basically, Pittman gets the bus treatment, which is really, really not good. Uh, the the bus, bus wide receivers tend to have around a 10 to 12% hit rate historically. Not really a bet I'd be willing to pace, place. Anyways, that's Michael Pittman, the prospect. But he has played in the NFL. So now we have more data to go and base our opinions on. Michael Pittman Jr. had a very up and down rookie season. So when I'm doing, I use sophomore comps. My whole process, my everything is based on, I want to see the journey a player takes to get from point A to point B. And the players that take the same journey or a similar journey, that's what I think they're probably going to do. It's it's really not all that complicated. So when I'm looking at sophomore comps, I look at their prospect grade, right? Like their, their prospect grade, what they did coming into the NFL still matters after the rookie year. It's not the only thing that matters but it still matters to some extent. So when I'm comparing what a bust profile wide receiver looks like in the sophomore comp process, I am looking at only busts and long shots. If I'm looking at a long shot prospect, then I'm looking at busts, long shots, and coin flips. If I'm looking at a coin flip prospect, then I'm looking at long shots, coin flips, and bulletproof. As we, I go one tier up and one tier down, that's basically how it works. And then I look at things like their uh, fantasy points per game uh, as a rookie. I look at things like their receiving grade per pro football focus as a rookie. And then I compare their rookie performance across the... Oh, and I look at uh, ADP trends. So did he lose greater than 12 startup slots after his rookie year? I have found that basically anyone that does is terrible. <laughs> like there's just no coming back from it. Mick, Michael Pittman Jr. actually was trending that way and then... Suddenly, it took a turn for the better. I don't know why. Must have been after they got Carson Wentz. And he actually recouped, and he only lost six spots in ADP. So he does not qualify as a face planner, which is great news for Michael Pittman Jr. Enthusiast. The problem is we look at a lot more than that when it comes to sophomore comps. So we combine all these things together. This is his list of comps. We have James Jones, Justin Hunter, Michael Pittman, Mohamed Masakwai, Mikkel Hardman, Greg Little, Vincent Brown, Jordan Shipley, and Traquan Smith. These are bust and long shot tier wide receivers with similar points per game, ADP trends, PFF grade, so on and so forth. It was not a good rookie season. It's not a good outlook for Michael Pittman Jr. The only hit on that list is James Jones and he hit a top 24 season one time, a singular top 24 season. And beyond that, Michael Pittman Jr. only had 1.37 yards per route run. That is really not good. That's really, really bad. Yards per route run is also a very good metric. It just doesn't really add anything to my sophomore comp, so I don't usually look at it. But when I'm looking at it in this particular instance, because his was quite bad, he is basically the worst on the list, save for Greg Little, Traquan Smith. That's it. Everyone else was more productive on a route run basis than Michael Pittman. It wasn't good. It was really not good. So in my opinion, you should be flipping Michael Pittman Jr. You bought him as a late first, early second last year. You can probably sell him as a late first, early second this year. If you can flip him into someone that I really like, like say 
and Elijah Moore, who I plan on covering on next week's podcast, I would be very, very interested in doing that. And I understand that Michael Pittman Jr. has a much higher ceiling than someone like Elijah Moore. I was just trying to pick somebody that I think has a bright future. It's not so much about ceiling when we're talking about players that are probably never going to do anything worthwhile. I just want a player that's going to be usable, that I can plug into my lineup and rely on them on a week-to-week basis to do something. And we can't do that with Michael Pittman Jr. right now. When I have a situation like this, because... I don't know if you guys know this, but Paris Campbell is not one of my guys. I did not think he was a good prospect in the first place. I did not think that he was any good after his rookie year because he barely played. And when he did play, he was terrible. Like literally, he was so bad. It wasn't like he was kind of kind of okay. He was absolutely horrific. That's what we're looking at in the Colts wide receiver core. And then, you know, T.Y. Hilton, who's, I don't know, 31 or thereabouts. There's nobody in this wide receiver core that I want. And when that's the case, somebody still has to catch the ball. But if I don't have faith in any of them being good... I'm just going to go get the cheapest one. And when it comes to Michael Pittman or it comes to Paris Campbell, Paris Campbell is so much cheaper. Michael Pittman is somebody that I have on zero rosters. I have no exposure to Michael Pittman because I don't believe he's either going to provide a return on value where I can flip him later. And I don't believe he's, or I don't believe that he has a greater chance than Paris Campbell at this point. I I think it's a complete toss up as to which of those two do anything. And it's more likely than not that neither of them do anything impressive and nobody is fantasy relevant on that team right now. What I'm trying to say is if you have Michael Pittman Jr. on your team right now, you need to go and trade him. Go and trade Michael Pittman Jr. The dream is over. 